Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in this room. Lord, I thank you for their heart for you and their heart for each other. God, we just make room right now in our hearts for your voice. We make room in our hearts right now for your power and your spirit. We just ask that you would speak to us with great clarity today. Father, we pray, God, that just in our own hearts, God, if there's any clutter, any obstacles, Lord, we pray, God, that you would brush those things aside. Lord, that you would just allow us to hear your voice just with clarity. God, just help us to respond. God, even as we were singing a while ago, God, Whatever you say to us today, let us respond to it in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning's message by actually re-asking you guys a question. If you were here last week, you might remember it, but I want to ask it again to everybody. So by a quick show of hands, how many of you guys have ever heard someone say, don't sweat the small stuff? Anybody ever heard that? Don't sweat the small stuff. Has anybody never heard that statement? You just did. Okay, just checking. That was good. All right. Good, make sure we're all tracking. But listen, you know, I'll have to admit that on surface level, that statement that all of us have heard countless of times, it appears to not only be logical, but it also appears to be full of wisdom. And the idea, of course, behind that statement when people say it, it's simply this, that if we keep our eyes on the big picture, rather than focusing on things that are considered small, insignificant, or less than important, then we will ultimately experience less stress and less worry in life. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, listen, while I have to say that train of thought's pretty awesome and it's highly tempting to buy into it, there's only one problem with it. And I want you to grab a hold of this statement today and we'll throw it up on the screen for you. But more often than not, it's the small things in life that have the greatest impact. I want to say that again, that more often than not, it's the small things in life that have the greatest impact. And if I can just say this, if we live a life that says don't sweat the small stuff and we never give the small stuff attention, then we're going to miss out on some of the greatest things in life. So let me give you a few examples of how small things have great impact. So if you're an artist in here today, did you know that when Leonardo da Vinci actually painted what's considered the most famous painting of all time, the Mona Lisa, he chose to work with the smallest brush that he ever chose to use or he had ever used. And it's been said that the pressure he applied with the brush was so delicate and the movements of its tip was so slight that today, even with a magnifying glass, you cannot discern the individual brush strokes. In other words, the the big picture was made up of the smallest strokes, obviously from the paintbrush. For those of you guys that like history, I'm one of those guys. This is fascinating to me. Did you know that on June the 18th, 1815, that the great military genius, Napoleon Bonaparte, actually won the Battle of Waterloo before he lost it? You heard me right, that he won the Battle of Waterloo. Waterloo before he lost it. And it's in this sense that all day long he sent wave after wave of his infantrymen against Wellington or the British forces until he finally saw the moment that he could land the fatal blow. And it was then that he did this. He decided, man, at this time, I'm going to send out 5,000 of my strongest, most experienced, and most effective fighters. It was, it was his cavalry, not his infantry, his cavalry. And he knew that with one bold sweep that what he could do is he could separate Wellington's men from their cannons. 
Now, to make a really long story short, he realized that if he could separate them from his cannons, he could basically wipe them out. But here's what happened. Basically, minus a number of casualties, in less than five minutes after Napoleon decided to make that move, he captured all 156 of Wellington's or the British cannons. That's pretty impressive, right? And so, but here's what's so crazy. It was in that moment, everybody thought, man, Napoleon had won again. Victory belonged to the French. And it was until it was realized that basically Napoleon's men made a grave mistake. And it was simply this, that they didn't have any nails, you heard me right, nails with them that day on the battlefield. Nails. Now watch this. Traditionally, during those days when troops would overrun an opponent's cannons, headless nails were hammered down into the touch hole. That was where the fuse was ignited. And when they hammered it down in there, basically it rendered the cannon useless. But on this day, the privates forgot to bring the nails with them. And the reason they forgot is because they actually were were, uh, in a frantic mode running around before the battle trying to find them. And they even told their, I believe, their officers, and they basically ignored their cries for it. But here's what happened. So hours after the cannons were overrun, Wellington's men regained control of their cannons, and suddenly the British cannons were now turned on Napoleon's men, and basically what should have been you know, obsolete, dead, not working, now basically Napoleon just stood on top of the hill, and he watched as those cannons were turned back and fired on his men. And so at that moment, all he sat there is he, he just sat and watched his victory you know, when he thought, man, I had another one. In fact, if you read the story, he was pretty arrogant and pretty cocky about it. But he had to watch his victory turn into defeat. Now, here's the thing I want to say about this. That in spite of all the guns, in spite of the swords, the lances, the cannons, the horses, the soldiers that littered the battlefield on that day, the Battle of Waterloo was ultimately decided by a fistful of small nails. Let me give you something for the sports fans. Anybody ever heard of John Wooden? Man, John Wooden was man. Nobody's heard of John Wooden. Anybody ever heard of John Wooden? All right, checking. All right, all right. Listen, John Wooden, if you guys don't know, he's arguably one of the greatest college basketball coaches of all time. Basically led his UCLA Bruins to 10 NCAA championships over a 12-year period. That's domination. So actually seven of those championships were consecutive. Now, something I find interesting is John Wooden's first practice each year, it didn't consist of, you know, running sprints. It didn't consist of uh, running drills. It didn't consist of learning and running new plays. It didn't even consist of dribbling a basketball, shooting a basketball, or passing a basketball. In fact, his first practice every year had nothing to do with a basketball Basically what he did, the first practice every year is he sat all of his guys down and he began to teach them slowly how to put their socks on and then how to put their shoes on very carefully. Because John understood this, that if a player doesn't put their socks and their shoes on properly, it causes blisters. And players don't play to the best of their abilities when they have blisters on their feet. And so what John basically reinforced again and again with his team was this, is that basically that they were going to be a team that cared for or cared about the smallest details because the details matter because the details win championships. In fact, I'm going to give you a John Wooden quote. He said this. He said, it's the little things, or we'll say the small things, that are vital. Little things make big things happen. That little things make big things happen. Now, if you can kind of work with me, I'm going to give you two more quicker than that. But I actually remember watching an American swimmer, and I'm sure some of you guys saw this too. This was in the Olympics. He actually won a gold medal by a hundredth of a second. Get that, a hundredth of a second. 
Did you know that that's less time for lightning to strike or for a hummingbird to flap its wings one time or even faster than you can blink? That literally that small, minute, small fraction of time was the deciding factor between who won the gold medal and who won the silver medal. Let me give you one more just for fun, all right? Did you know, and this is for scientific people, that if the earth, I'm sure most of you guys know this, that if the earth was actually tilted a few degrees closer to the sun, what would happen to us? We'd burn up. If it was a few degrees the other way, what would happen to us? We would all freeze to death, to death. So let me repeat this one more time. More often than not, it's the small things in life that have the greatest impact. Are you guys with me today? So now if you're sitting here and you think anything like me, you're probably wondering, man, is that train of thought supported by the Bible? That's me. I'm a guy that always gets to go to the book, show me in the book. So just for kicks, think about this for a second. What kind of impact did Moses' staff, a small stick, what kind of impact did that have? What kind of impact did a donkey's jawbone and Samson's hand have? What kind of impact did a small stone in David's sling had? Or how about the widow's handful of flour and oil? Or how about the, the cloud the size of a man's hand? Or how about uh, how much does a faith the size of a mustard seed, how much of an impact does that make? Or what about this? What about the widow with the two mites? Or how about the boy's five loaves, two fishes, or the woman's small box alabaster box? Or even this one, you can sit up on the screen, but how much impact did a crown and three nails have for us? Then you'll see there that the little foxes spoiled the vine on the last one. In fact, I love what it says in one translation. It says that the little foxes spoiled the vineyard of love. Take that one and put it in your home. The vineyard of love. In other words, the love walk that we have. The last one there, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And then let me show you two verses that Jesus said, and we'll move on. Jesus said this in Luke 16, 10. Says, he who is faithful in the very what? In the very what? He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. Three chapters later, he said this in chapter 19, verse 17. He said, Well done, the king exclaimed, You are a good servant, and you have been faithful with the little or the small I entrusted to you, so now you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. So one more time. More often than not, it's the small things in life that have the greatest impact. Somebody turn to your neighbor and and simply say this. I think, come on, say it like you mean to say, I think it's time that we start sweating the small stuff. So listen, the main thing I want to kind of grab up top here is this is that nothing ever happens in our lives without the small things being attached to it. Nothing. It's, it's even, well, let me just say, stay tracking here. The big picture, the big event, the big moment always finds its foundation on the tiny, subtle, almost indiscernible thoughts, decisions, words, and actions in our lives. Let me say that one more time. The big picture, the big event, the big moment always finds its foundation on the tiny, subtle, almost indiscernible thoughts, decisions, words, and actions in our lives. You, you know, listen, as, as, a, as a person in ministry, I'm amazed by how many people say they go to a conference or whatever, and, and they're oohed and ah, and they're, and they're just blown away and wowed by, by what they experience and what they hear and all of that. And, you know, I, I dare to say that most people 
do not realize that what they see or what they experience in a weekend at a conference probably took no less than six months of the very minute details to make that thing work. So to understand this, the big moments, even, even on this, if, you, if we can stop and maybe think about this for us that are married, okay? Think about all, you know, we, we go back to the day that maybe we proposed or we got proposed to, and we think about, wow, what a beautiful moment, but we never think about, you know, really all the details that came up for that one moment to even happen, that crescendo, if you will. Are you with me today? So let me just maybe hit the pause button and say this, because I feel like I'm going to preach two messages to you today. Not intentionally, but, but I feel like I am. So pick which one you like better. Listen, uh, when, when I got to this point, I was, I've been thinking about this like literally all week. And when I got to this point on Thursday night, you, you know, I was, I was really uh, undecided on what the small thing that the Lord wanted to highlight for today. And I had a few things in my head. And I, and I thought some things like this. So I'm going to say it to you. So this kind of message one, it, you know, it might be for somebody here. So I'll just throw it out there. You can hear between the lines and apply it, okay? But, but I thought about this. I thought about maybe something like how we need to guard our heart from the little offenses. Okay? That'd be Luke 17. Jesus said offenses will come. We all have plenty of opportunities to be offended by people. Especially if you're going to love people well, you're going to get offended. So, so how, how can we guard our hearts from that? I thought about integrity. I thought about purity. I thought about something that's even as small as how we express our love to one another. Obviously, that holds you know, great significance. I thought about you know, little shifts in our perspective in life or maybe perspective towards God. I thought about the little changes in our words, our thoughts, our habits, our attitudes, or, or how, how we do this. Everybody please listen to me. How we do life with our family. You know, the truth is, if I can maybe sit right there for a second, so often we're, we are one person in public and we're somebody else behind closed doors and our family gets the ugly because we know that they'll love us anyways. Well, at least we hope. Fair enough. But, but even in those little things in our family, or how about this, like little areas of sin where we said that earlier that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Or how about our prayer life, studying the Bible, all those things, okay? I, you know, words, I was banking around all those things. I believe we would all agree that little shifts in all those areas can make a significant impact in our life. You know? <clears throat> like I was even listening to somebody the other day, and they were talking about how they, they met a man one time. And, and every time they went to this man calling for counsel, they almost saw him sit back. And it was almost, I'll put it in different words he said, but almost like the guy was pulling the file cabinet out and going through scriptures that he knew to kind of speak wisdom into the situation. And, and the guy who was, who was a preacher was talking to this guy. He said, man, man what, do you, what do you do that, you know, is, is basically who's made you who you are? Just like, do you, do you just live reading the Bible? And the guy actually said this to him. He goes, he basically talked about how he said in his heart to read through the Bible every year. But he's like, wow, man, that must take a whole lot of time. And then he said this. He said, you know, actually it doesn't. I just sit down and I read for 15 minutes every day. 15 minutes doesn't seem like a lot. It seems like a very small thing. But yet what he was saying was, is, man, the small, the small thing in basically our life uh, or his life basically changed his whole life in a dramatic way. And, and then he said this. He gave another one. Uh, he said he was talking to one of the top uh, counselors, marriage counselors, basically in the United States. And, and he was like, man, what's the one piece of advice that you would give couples? And the guy said this. He said, I would tell couples, or basically when I meet with them, I tell every couple, look, every day, no matter what you do, at least pray together. 
before you wake, you know, before you go to bed, maybe when you wake up in the morning, just spend some time and just pray together. And he said this very simple. He said, it's really hard to fight with somebody or hate somebody that you pray with. And so once again, that's a small thing. You wouldn't say having a prayer meeting with them. He just said, hey, just pray with them before you go to bed. So, so anyway, so I, I, I kind of sell that for, for this. Maybe that's the message for someone, and maybe you need to begin to sweat those small things and put more focus on those things in your life. Can I get an amen? Okay, so let, let, me, let me maybe say this. What I just said probably wasn't new, okay? The Holy Spirit, if you fellowship with him at all, you, you, you probably already know what he wants to shift in those small things in your heart. All you have to do is agree with him and start doing it. Okay, so, so I believe that there's people here that already know what they need to shift. Just shift it. So, but for me, come today, this is second sermon. Y'all ready? <laughs> it's like second lunch um, or second breakfast, whatever it is in, in Fellowship of the Ring, Lord of the Rings. Anyway, so listen, I kind of felt like when I was praying, I got to that Thursday spot. I, I really felt like the Lord was waiting to tell me something. And, you know, it was almost like, he's like, yeah, I hear you, son. I know you're asking, but you're going to have to wait a minute for clarity. I'm like, okay. And it's kind of funny that, you know, a lot of times I, I know, I think, kind of the moment when God's going to share it with me. And anyway, so I just kind of laugh at him, and I think it's funny that he kind of holds out on me. But it is what it is. But anyways, Jen and I got a chance to go over to uh, a church here in the region the other day. We got to go to a, a, an actual pastor's or leader's luncheon. And Pastor Eric Johnson from Bethel was speaking. And it, it was so funny because he, you know, he started, he said, I'm going to talk about three things today. And he started the, the first thing. And he didn't get into it too long. And it was like, boom, the light came on. I knew that that's what God wanted me to share about today. So we're going to take a big swing. You know, so hit your blinker. We're going to go right. Anyway, so hopefully it will speak to you. To me, I, I sat back and he started talking. I was like, man, that makes absolutely sense. That's where we've been at for a number of weeks. I'm going to share a piece of it with you today. And it's not totally verbatim what he said. It's just things that I took from what he said. So before I read a passage of Scripture, uh, I actually want to ask you guys a question. And I want you to uh, answer it honestly, okay? And you don't have to show your hands. Maybe if you want to, you can. But, but simply this, that how many of you would really, really, really like to see a move of God in our region. And what I mean by move of God, you know, a typical word there is revival. How many of you guys would like to see God just, man, just drop a bomb in the joint? All right, that's good. So keep that question in mind, and let's read this verse. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. I have read this thing, man, I don't know how many times, and, and when he said something, it, it triggered a new revelation here. Here we go. So it says this. Thank you, guys. It says, every believer was faithfully devoted. Get that, every believer. Somebody say, that's me. That's me. Come on, say, that's me. So every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. In other words, basically what we'll put in today's term, what the church was teaching, all right? Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. It says, a deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. All the believers were in fellowship as one body and, and says, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Verse 45 says, out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. It says, daily, they met together in temple courts. Somebody say daily. daily. 
says, and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. It says they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life or being saved. I love the way it says that, coming to life. That's the, that's the passion translation. So how many of you guys want to see revival? Acts chapter 2 Here's what Eric said that turned the light on. Okay, it's what the Lord used. He said this. He said, there's this underlining thought in the church today where churches feel like they either have to choose either revival or community. Hope you don't miss this. Hope I can explain it well. There's the underlining thought in the church today where churches feel like they have to choose either revival or community. I'm going to tell you something. I have felt that pressure personally. And he said this, basically, are we going to go after God or are we going to build community or family? He says, the church thinks so often that we have to pick one or the other, and if we choose one, then we have to abandon the other one. Am I making sense so far? So kind of with that thought in mind, I just looked at Acts chapter 2, and I said, okay, if we, if we begin to dissect this portion of Scripture that we just read, if we separate it into two categories, one category, community, the other category, revival, it would typically look this way. And I'm just going to throw it up here for you. Watch this. So in community, we talk about being devoted to discipleship. We talk about fellowshipping with one another. So often here in our language, uh, we talk about small groups and those two. Then we talk about sharing communion, actually taking the Lord's Supper, right? And then talk about praying together. That would be, yes, praying here together Sunday mornings, but also our prayer time on Monday nights. And this says talking about being in unity, basically that we're, we have, we're joyful, that we have humility. This is all from Acts chapter 2, by the way, just stuff that I pulled from what we just read. There's generosity, serving one another, attending service, in other words, gathering at church regularly, eating in each other's homes, and worshiping together. How many of you guys know that sounds like a really good list? All right, so then if we said, okay, let's put community in a category and let's put up revival in this category, we would typically look at it like this. Man, that there's a holy awe or, or the fear of God uh, swept over us, right? Man, God moved in. You know, we've talked about, you know, in times past, we talked about the Welsh revival, we talked about the revival in the Hebrides, uh, you know, basically where there was this strange awareness of God that came. And so, once again, powerful presence of God. And the last one that you hear so often in the church, talking about signs and wonders, the gifts of the Spirit. And then that last one is uh, basically salvations daily. How many of you guys know that in one day, if there's 3,000 people to get saved, it's a pretty good day? Amen. And then it says that the Lord added daily to them. Now, there's a hundred things there we could preach, but, but let's do this. Now, watch this. As I was sitting there, I was thinking about, man, the crazy part is, is when we sit back and listen to people talk. Now, maybe I realize I'm in a different position than you guys because, because I'm in a spot as a pastor. People like to come and tell me what's important to them, right? And they like to come, and, and it typically comes in this sense. You know, pastor, don't you think we should do this? Don't you think we should do that? Don't you think we should do this? Don't you think we should be doing this? And uh, so anyway, so I get this great opportunity of hearing what all people, what so many people basically is, is important to them. So anyways, so when I sit back and I listen to people, I see a lot of people that are divided over these two groupings. Watch this. That one group literally says that we want to do life together and the other group says we want to see the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying that there's not overlap in that because there is some overlap in that with certain groups of people, okay? Here's the point that I want to make is both groups overemphasize, get that, overemphasize, overemphasize, am I overemphasizing, overemphasize, overemphasize their preferred category. 
while they inadvertently minimize the other. Is that not so, so true? In other words, they don't sweat what they consider to be the small stuff or less important. In other words, let me break it down in a different way. The people who are sold out to community, they're all into community, and they give little thought to revival. Come on, don't get quiet on me now, all right? Listen, and, and then there's people, I'm not saying everybody, and, and then there's those group of people that, man, they're all in for revival, the move of the Spirit, it's spontaneous, it's this, it's that, and then what they do is, is they minimize the other side. Y'all think I'm crazy? Thank you, five people don't think I'm crazy. That's good. All right, so... Listen, but, but what I want us to see today is this, is have we ever stopped and taken a step back and realized by reading Acts chapter 2 that the early church enjoyed both? In other words, they enjoyed revival, the move of the Spirit, and community. So what I'm trying to get you to understand today is we don't have to choose. Yes? So, listen, maybe what's more significant to see here is this, is that the early church never separated the two. They saw them one in the same. They went hand in hand. They were inseparable. In other words, it was all part of the same conversation. In fact, I'll just say it this way, that I think those guys were so great. Obviously, the early church wasn't perfect, but they were so great at doing life together, inviting God in the mix to be a part of it. Right? I mean, they were just fantastic at it. And so, anyway, so, so how they do that? I think this, and maybe this is just a thought. You may disagree with me, and that's fine. Angelo's not here today, so talk to Pastor Brian if you disagree, all right? So, anyways, can I propose to you this, that it's because the early church didn't consider, once again, they didn't consider either category the small stuff. In fact, I actually believe that they knew that they couldn't fully have one without the other. In other words, that without both pieces, there was incomplete, and, and I'll just say this, and, and this may sound re- really strong to say it this way, but I have been to churches that are all about community, and you're sitting there going, Jesus, where are you at? Yeah. Right? I'm not saying all of them. And then I've been to churches that, that it's all revival, and, man, I'm like, dear God, I wish somebody ever, uh, you know, understood the word structure and order. Yeah. Yeah. Is that okay to say it that? Yeah. So, so I, you know, I even say this. Let me just hop into it. I wish... I wish there was a lot of people that could have been in that conversation because here's a guy that along with his dad and the team that are leading a movement that's shaking the world, and, and he actually took a time. I wasn't planning on saying this. He actually took time to talk about the Holy Spirit, and he addressed the people that always just want spontaneous in, in a movement. And, and the truth is, is in the church, here's a guy that their church has become the standard in many ways in Christianity. And he basically sit there and said, people who want all nothing but spontaneous, all this and that, they're, they're out of balance. And that's from a guy that was, you know, that's leading the thing. And he said this. He goes, so often we think that, man, that the Holy Spirit's sitting there. And he goes, all they're doing is, oh, I got to go. Like, like the Holy Spirit is spontaneous in himself, and he's not planned. Basically, we say it was suddenly, but it was really just suddenly to us. It wasn't suddenly to him. <laughs> Make sense? I got to find that message, and, and I'll maybe regurgitate it to you. <laughs> because I literally sat back, and I went, dude, you have so much wisdom. I mean, I was impressed. It was good. So anyway, so let me say this real quick, okay? Let me give you another example here. I, I have, 
so many books in my office that tell stories about how God moved. I mean, in, in unbelievable, crazy ways. Or, or how God used, uh, you know, an individual to do mighty things, quote-unquote, bring revival. And, and as time progressed, you, you know, basically, I, you know, keep reading the book. You, you see that the wheels fell off the movement or the person crashed and burned. Why? It's because they didn't have a community around them. And they paid a hefty price for it. And in fact, Eric said this. I thought it was so good. He, he, he sped up a few, a few chapters and he said, said that basically that when revival came to the early church, that it was community that kept them healthy. And the reason is, is because it was community that brought accountability. Amen. So, so let me say it to you another way. I, I think when we're talking about the people that are that all, that are all there, and, and man, I'm I'm all for that, and I'm all for that. But but I think the people that are all over there, they overestimate an event, and they underestimate the process. They overestimate an event, the the kaboom moment, and they underestimate the process. In, in other words, how many times have I heard Bill Johnson say, uh, you, you know, basically what we get to enjoy in public. Basically, we had to contend for it in private. The small things. In other words, so often it's the small things that nobody sees that allows us to enjoy basically what everybody wants. And the reason so often we don't enjoy what everybody wants is because we haven't learned to go contend for the small things so God can trust us with the bigger things. Amen? So, but on the other hand, watch this. I, I've seen more churches I count who, when I'm kind of repeat myself here, but, but who did community really well, but they were so closed off by the move of God because it didn't fit their paradigm, right? Because you can be overscheduled, you can be over rigid. And, and in short, what happened is because they ignored the Holy Spirit or because they didn't pursue the Holy Spirit, they didn't make room for the power of the Holy Spirit, they didn't experience the Holy Spirit's power. What does all of that mean for us here? Very simple. I, I simply believe that if we are going to be the church uh, or the people that God has called us to be, because if, if you, I think we've all recognized that, that we, we are called to do something different in this community than other churches that are here. That doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us less than. It just means our assignment's different. Because we're going to honor other churches that are preaching the truth. Okay? So, um, but if we're going to be who I believe we're called to be and who these guys originally set out to create the church to be when they came here to plant the church, what, 14 years ago? I just want to say this, that I believe God is calling us that whichever category that we as individuals or corporately have minimized or made small in our lives, then we need to begin to sweat it, focus on it, desire it, commit to it, and believe for it. Are you hearing me? In other words, let's get back to where, where, where as a church, those things aren't inseparable. So, in other words, it's kind of like this. If you, if you sit and you go, you know what, uh, I, have min- I have minimized doing life with people and being a part of the discipleship process and letting people into my life, letting people speak into my life, and so forth, whatnot. You know, once again, if it's small groups, it's praying, us, uh, us praying together, all those things, worshiping together, then I would encourage us to do so. Okay, but if you're if you are that's your big thing and that's your little thing and and you've never spent time and, and, and sought the the you know basically the move of the spirit in your own life personal revival if you've never sought to God just to wreck you in other words if you played it safe and you've played it secure and, and, and you stayed in the shallow end and was good enough to put your toes in I'm asking you to feel the invitation from God to, to begin to sweat that side. Am I making sense? So, so whichever one you're in, you know, don't lose what you got because it's good. 
okay? But begin to pursue the other one equally, okay? Because I, it's my heart, it's Jen's heart, it's the leadership's heart that's here that, that we want to see this place to be very balanced. And we don't want to just be a place that comes and goes through the routine, we want to see God move, but we don't want to get crazy and lose our way and, and get imbalanced in the process. Is that okay? So, so today, you know, hopefully you've had a minute to sit here and think about that and to look at those things. And hopefully in your own heart, you're going, yep, that, that's an area I need to address in my own life. Fair enough? Because once again, it's us that we would all grow up and that we could do this thing together, right? So two more things, and then we're going to take communion today. Listen, it might be time, once again, for us to sweat the small stuff because small changes can make a significant difference. Okay? So let, let, me, let me even say this. We have a very small group of people that come on Monday nights and pray. Just use this as an example. And since, since that group decided to get together and start praying, I think the worship team can attest to this. I can attest to this. Things have shifted in the church. It's because those people pray, right? And, and so imagine if not five people, but if 20 people came or if 30 people came. Imagine the significance. So it's a small thing. It's an hour. It's a small thing that people make commitment to that ultimately makes big changes, right? Let, let me maybe even say it this way. As far as like the worship team, these guys show up on, on Tuesday nights and they practice for hours, okay? You guys get to enjoy on Sunday basically what's been hours and hours and hours of hard work and dedication, right? And so that's, um, this thing is going to be work. I'll just say it like that. In the same way they work so we can enjoy, have we ever thought about that as a church? We work until he comes, occupy until he comes, so the region around us can enjoy. Last thing, John Wooden again, the man, here, let me touch some of you women here really quick. All right, let me help you out, okay? This was pretty cool, and I may get my numbers wrong. But I'm just trying to help you connect to basketball here, okay? John Wooden, every day, wrote love letters to his wife. Now, here's what's amazing. 20, I think it was 21 years, he wrote every single day. No pressure, men. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said this because it's going to hurt us. But for 21 years, every single day, he wrote a love letter to his wife. And you know what's so amazing about it? He would fold it up and he would put it in a box because for 21 years, his wife was dead. And so every day, he wrote her a love letter, even though she was no longer with him. So once again, John Wooden, it's the little things that are vital because little things make big things happen. Let me pray for you, and we are going to receive communion. So real quick, while we get ready in our own hearts, before we pray, just, just what you know that you need to shift as far as the little things in your heart, just spend a moment yourself there. Just make a commitment to the Lord and just ask for wisdom on, on how you need to apply that to your life and maybe what you could do different. So let's just take a moment, just be quiet, and just silently pray in our own hearts to the Lord to fix whatever he wants us to fix. Father, we thank you today that small things matter to you. And so, Lord, we're just asking today, God, that whatever small thing that's in our heart, maybe, uh, truth is, Lord, we might consider it small, but you probably consider it to be a big thing. And so, Lord, we just ask, God, that you would help us to just obey, just respond. 
Lord, once again, it's like the, the question of today is, what is God saying and what are we going to do about it? And so, Lord, we're just asking today, God, that, that it was the little things privately, God, in our own lives. Maybe it's with our family. Maybe it's with integrity. Maybe it's with those kind of things, God, that you would show us what we need to adjust, what we need to shift, God, so we can come in alignment with what you're doing in this hour. And, uh, Lord, I, I recognize that as far as the second part that we talked about, God, so many of us in this room are just from different backgrounds. And, uh, Lord, it doesn't mean it's been bad. Lord, that's the foundation that you put in us. But, Lord, we're just asking today, God, that if we need to be people that need to pursue a genuine, authentic move of the Holy Spirit, that we get hungry for the things of God, not just to, to fit tradition and format. Lord, we just ask today, God, that our hearts would be stirred, God, to begin to pursue those things. And, Lord, if we've been people that have done that part really well, but, Lord, we haven't done community well, Lord, we're asking, God, that you would help help us to shift and and to begin to focus on community. God, help us to be a balanced people that think community and the move of the Spirit, that that those things are inseparable. God, they're in the same sentence. They're one and the same, that we don't separate them, God. But, Lord, we have the privilege, like the early church, to enjoy those things. And so, Lord, whatever you need to do today to move in our hearts, maybe we need to commit to a small group. Maybe we need to commit to prayer. Maybe we need to commit uh, to worshiping uh, God, uh, uh, you know, basically with our heart on the table instead of playing it really reserved. Whatever it is, God, we just thank you for getting in there, putting your finger on it like only you can do and making that shift and making that change in our lives so we can grow and so people, uh, so we can enjoy you and so the region can enjoy you in greater measures. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.